the distinction is, is that you can go and build a phenomenal business and a large asset base, but you don't have to store it up for yourself. They're two very different things. You can pursue wealth because you want to use the wealth to do good works. That's not storing it up for yourself. Well, g'day guys, and welcome back to the podcast. You know, just straight off the bat, I just want to say how much I'm enjoying producing these for you. Uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback through DM, through email, through people I'm bumping into, um, saying how much these uh, sessions are helping them. And, uh, and so it's just a delight that I get to serve you in this way and hopefully play a small part in helping you build you know, your best business, having your greater impact, and building that legacy. Um, I want to talk to you this time about getting your money right. And, you know, it's an interesting topic. There's a lot of teaching that has gone on across the faith around finance. Usually, uh, and I say this with respect, usually people that necessarily haven't created any wealth, which means, doesn't mean their opinion is invalid, but it just means they haven't experienced what it's like, you know, to go through that journey. And, um, and I find that there's a lot of teaching that kind of beats up on money and I can understand where that comes from. However, it doesn't come from a healthy place. And I think we all have a different grace on our life as people across the faith, right? Preachers have a certain grace, right? People for government have a certain grace. There's the stay-at-home parent. There's a certain grace. Everyone's got a different grace. But for entrepreneurs, one of the graces that we're given is the ability to handle finance and to handle it probably different you know, to, to people outside of business. And so, you know, there's a lot of beating up that goes on and, and all the scriptures that go with that. Like people say, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man go to heaven. And that's true. But the next line says, but we've got all things are possible. And they leave that out and they quote the first bit, right? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. And so, so, so a lot of people have brought a teaching that makes people run away from it because they're scared. I want to bring a conversation that says, no, no, you can have a very healthy relationship with finance. And actually, I want to bring a conversation to the table that brings liberty around finance, all right? Because, because it's not this big, scary monster. And, and if you're not wired for finance as an entrepreneur, you won't build a great business. You won't have the impact. You won't create the legacy that you could. So that's why I'm unapologetic about bringing up the concept of money, of wealth, of riches, of finance from a kingdom perspective, right? Because without it, we're going to be just going in the dark and repeating what's always happened, which is... You know, we're just missing out on a whole bunch of impact that we could have across the body um, by not taking this area seriously. But when I say seriously, like, like it's not as important. Let me just say, you know, I, I am trying to change the conversation. So I've got people that are like up here with me on this understanding. And there'll be people that watch this who are, this is a, this is a brand new concept. And for them, for you guys, it might be a real challenge. So I just want to kind of pander to that for a second and go, Money, wealth, riches, whatever you want to call it, it is not as important as salvation, your walk with the Lord, your family, you know, your health. It's just not. It's in a hierarchy, you are you're better off to have no money and salvation than a heap of money and no salvation. Just let's just put that straight on the table. It's not that important. But once you've kind of got that kind of maturity around those areas of your life that are most important then you can put money back on the table as almost sanctified, meaning that it's, you know, it's under the direction of the Lord. And when it's there, then you can do great things with your finance. And so that's part of the conversation. 
And I also believe at my very core, having walked this journey for a long, long time, that actually the pursuit of wealth is noble. The pursuit of wealth is noble. And then in brackets, as long as it's about other people. And if you've been watching my channel for a while, you'll know that that's truly what I believe, right? The pursuit of wealth is noble as long as it's about other people, right? And there are plenty of stories in the Bible, like the Good Samaritan. If the Good Samaritan only had words and no money, then it would have just been more good intentions, more promises, more lip service, more I'll pray for you and then don't have the ability to actually physically help, right? And we've got tons of that across the body of Christ. We don't need any more people that are prepared to say they want to help. We need more people that are prepared to stump up and help. Um, and as entrepreneurs, that's a large portion of the game that we play, all right? So I, I want to cover those things off because I think they're really, really important, right? You know, um, the reason why the pursuit of wealth is noble is because what we do in the faith consistently is we go black and white, baby out with the bathwater, you know, like, uh, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth is, this, is a scripture that gets used to kind of beat up on the pursuit of wealth. But, but if we actually just stop for a second, the word store up for yourself is the issue, right? See, the, the distinction is, is that you can go and build a phenomenal business and a large asset base, but you don't have to store it up for yourself. They're two very different things. You can pursue wealth, because you want to use the wealth to do good works. That's not storing it up for yourself. Building a great business and an asset base is not necessary. It can be storing it up for yourself. That's when you're doing it wrong. But if you're actually storing it up so that it is an asset base that can fund good works for the rest of time beyond how you live, then actually the pursuit of wealth is noble because you're not storing it up for yourself. And so, but we've never had that distinction across the body of Christ. We just go, Money good, money bad. Well, actually, actually, there's like a whole bunch of gray in the middle where we can really walk with the Lord, collaborate with him, and kind of work out how to do it, you know, our way for us. And so, you know, for me, I am pursuing wealth, and it has a noble cause. When I have an asset base that throws off cash every single month, that cash can be used for good. Now, here's the best news. If I take all of my real estate and it throws off its rent this month, I can give away all of that rent this month. And guess what happens next month? More comes in. I give it all away. More comes in. I can give it all away. That means when I'm dead, right, when I'm up in heaven chilling out, my children can take the asset base and keep distributing forever and a day. If I don't do that and I have to give it out of my own personal exertion money, then when I die, it dies. Okay? And the impact dies because there's, I can't, we can't, we can't financially help anybody anymore. That's why it's important that we, you and I, have to get our money right. So the reason why I chose the word you have to get your money right is because obviously we help a lot of people and you know, a lot of businesses over a lot of years. And people have these kind of like um, generic phrases, like I need more money. Now, the, you, like, like the reason why that doesn't work is because I need more money doesn't mean anything. Okay. What I'm going to do on this episode is I want to break it down and look at money because there's actually five types of money, believe it or not. There's not just money. The problem with saying something generic like I need more money is that it's almost impossible to get a handle on what that means. Therefore, if you don't have clarity around the outcome, you can't put a strategy together to go and get it. 
because you don't actually know what the outcome is, therefore you can't decide a strategy. So I wanna break down the concept of money and look at the five types of money that are available. Then you can build a strategy because you know exactly what it looks like. Oh, hey, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. Listen, I'm just here training a group here in this room, but I need you to subscribe to my channel. Guys, do you think they should subscribe to the channel? Guys, please, subscribe. So I'm gonna run through the five and I'm gonna give you a few pointers on each of them on what you would do to get more money in that area. All right, number one, the first type of money that you can go and get more of if you wish is revenue. All right, revenue. So we all know what this is. This is your gross sales, this is the turnover, depending on where you are in the world, we use different words. Revenue, gross sales, turnover, however you want to look at it. It is, it is total income into your business. Revenue. Now, by the way, interestingly, like it kind of all starts here, which is why it's number one. Right? You know, as I come and build out this list, you're gonna have to have this one to be able to do the rest. So this is really, really important, right? So revenue. You need to constantly be focused on moving the needle on the top line revenue of your business. So if you're doing a million, you've got to get a plan to do two or three. If you're doing 10 million, you've got to get a plan for 15, 20, 30. If you're doing 300 grand in revenue for the year, you need a plan to get to six, 700, right? You, you've, got to, you've got to grow that top line revenue. And it's really interesting actually, because obviously having helped a lot of people and seen the patterns and the trends, there's almost this weird $1 million revenue cutoff. And that's, I mean, it's, it's not an exact science, kind of carries over between Aussie dollars and US dollars, even though there's a you know, rate difference. And like a million pounds is obviously twice as much as a million Aussie dollars. But we have these kind of like ceilings that are a little bit hard to get past. I kind of think that like, take Australia as an example, up to a million in revenue, you do that with hand-to-hand -hand combat. You can do that like scrappy as, just get another person, get another deal, you know, produce the work, work long hours, like you can scrap your way to a million. But from a million up, it just becomes chess, right? So it goes from hand-to-hand -hand combat up to a million, and it's not exact, don't worry, but like, but just to give you a concept, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and then at a million, you've kind of figured out proof of concept, you've probably got some margin left over, you're able to make some investments back into the business, um, you put some team around you, and then it just becomes chess. You're just deploying money and making moves. I need more team, bring them in. I need more customers, bring them in. I need a big shed, bring that in. I need some support staff. Bring... It just becomes chess to go from one million to however much you want, right? Which is, I say that to try and encourage those of you who are on five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars of revenue to go a little bit more hand-to-hand -hand combat, and then it'll be able to shift, and you'll just be playing chess, right? Which is, let me tell you, way more fun. So you've got to get your revenue. Now, the way that you're going to completely move your needle on the revenue is two things, sales and marketing, right? That's, that's literally the focus to move the needle on your revenue. You need, you need to build a ton more awareness around your products and services and your company. You need to drive a ton more traffic or inbound leads. And then you need to have your sales team convert all of those into customers, right? Whoever that is for sales and marketing. Now here's the good news, it's never been easier, it's never been cheaper to drive a bunch of awareness and traffic to a website, to drive conversions to get people to call you about your products and services. Never been easier, it's never been cheaper than it is right now with the advent of social and digital. So that's the good news. 
but you've actually got to put your head there to be able to do this. So if you're currently getting 20 incoming leads a month, you've got to work out how to get to 40, 50, right? And the way you're going to do that is you're going to produce a ton of content on video. You're going to do a ton of content on images, ton of content on written form. You're going to put that all out through the internet across the seven platforms that matter, and you're going to drive that incoming inquiry. And then you're going to have your sales team do outbound calls where you're ringing people, pitching for work, pitching for products and services, right? And then when you get leads, you're going to quote them, you're going to win them, and you're going to turn them into customers. That, if, you, if, that's, if that's the type of money you need right now, when I say you need more money, if you choose that one, that's the work you've got to do, okay? Now, if you're saying, I'm not creative, I don't want to do the work, that's fine. You've got to bring somebody in who can do sales, bring somebody in who can do marketing, bring somebody in who can drive that digital traffic to your business, all right? You don't get the luxury of saying, I want more revenue, and then do nothing about it. You've got to kind of, you got to put the activity behind the work, right? So, but th that's like, if you just want to get more revenue in the door, it's sales and marketing, right? It is a ton. More. If you've got three marketing pillars right now, people find you through word of mouth, radio, right? And organic Facebook. I'm like, good. There's a thousand more ideas you could do outside of that that are going to bring you heap of work, right? Just start running paid Google ads, run paid Facebook, Instagram, run paid TikTok, run paid LinkedIn ads, Right, there's, there's so many strategies for you to drive leads to your business. Right? And then of course, once the leads come in, you've got to get really good at sales, convert every single one of them to customer, do deals, whatever you need to do to get that revenue in the door. All right, so that's number one. That's one type of money that you need to consider. The second type of money, when you say I need more money, is gross profit. Now let me just break down the distinction. So revenue is all of the money in, Gross profit, or GP as we call it, is the difference between revenue taking out your variable costs. Now, variable costs for most of us would be materials and subcontractors. There might be a few other things that fit in, but for the most of us, it'll fall in one of those two categories. The, most of our expenses, um, our variable expenses, will be materials or contractors. So if you know, like that's another type of money that you might be deciding to go for, right? You might because at the end I'm going to be asking you to pick the one that you need to focus on. You might say like my revenue is good, but my GP is not good enough. Okay, well that, then you can go and fight for gross profit. But here's the tragedy of where we are in 2022, and if you're watching this in 2023, I'm I'm sure it's going to be about the same. You can't buy materials cheaper at the moment, so. So the way that you negotiate is, is you get cheaper materials and cheaper subcontractors. That's how you improve the GP number so that you'll get left with more money. The problem is, is you can't buy materials cheaper and you probably can't get subcontractors cheaper because of the high inflationary environment that we live in, supply chain issues and so forth, right? But I wanted to show it to you because that is one area where you can get more money. But at the moment, it's nearly impossible to negotiate those down because the undersupply of materials and the undersupply of contractors in this world means that the prices are currently elevated. So you can negotiate all you like, but they'll probably just leave you, subcontractors will probably leave you, just go and find somebody else because they'd get more money over there. So that's going to be a tough one. All right, the third one that I want to have a look at here, the third type of money that you can go and chase down is net profit. All right. Now, what's the difference here? Net profit is the amount of money left over after you've paid out all your expenses. So it's your, it's your total revenue minus your variable expenses, minus all of your general expenses, and it's the amount of money that's left. So if you produce a profit and loss report, then it's the number down the bottom. It's either a profit or a loss, right? It'll either be a number or it'll be a number in brackets. Uh, hopefully, it's a number. 
So there's a net profit at the bottom. So, and then of course you pay your tax based on what that number is. So in Australia, our mar company marginal tax rate is 25%, and then our individual tax rate is up to 45% or whatever. So if you made a million dollars net profit for the year, then you're gonna have to give away $250,000 in, uh, in company tax and maybe even top it up personally, depending on how much you drew. So, so net profit, that's like the, at the end of the day, it's the amount of money that was left in the business at the end of the year or the quarter or the six months, depending on what you're doing. Obviously, this is where the real juice is because that you have to focus on revenue to get more GP, to get more net profit, right? Like, like you'll get more net profit in your business just by going for more revenue because your fixed costs will stay the same in some cases, not all. Your wages will increase as your revenue increases, but it may not increase at the same rate as your revenue increases. Then you'll have some expenses that don't increase. For example, your accountancy, right? Whatever you're paying for people to, to do your books. If you're paying them $5,000 a year to do 1 million, you're probably still paying them $5,000 a year in accounting to do 2 million, right? So that means that your net profit by default increases because you have the economies of scale of amortizing that expense over 2 million instead of one. Now, if I've lost you, then, then, then you need to go back and revisit this more than once because this is business 101 and numbers 101. So, um, so, so you actually might be deciding, no, my business is good. We, we've got lots of revenue. We've got good GP. I just need more net profit, right? I need more net profit. And, and then you've got to put your attention to it. And that's the reason why I'm trying to cover this because... Once you work out which one you need, the strategy behind it is a whole bunch easier. I was talking to a kingdom champion just yesterday, right? Somebody who we're walking with at the minute, helping him, coaching him, and he's doing an excellent job of building a business. Scaled his business from maybe 10 to 20 million in the last 12 months, give or take. <laughs> and, and it's really interesting because his net profit at the end of this year is really, really low, like 2%. Now that sounds terrible, it's because he's had a bunch of one-off costs. He's invested nearly every bit of profit back in the business because he's grown from 10 to 20 million. That cost a lot of money. That's, that's going from one office to four offices. That's four office fit-outs. That's going from six cars to 16 cars. Like th there's, there's all those one-off impairment costs which have made the net profit drop to really, really low. Now that the business has moved the needle to 20 mil, now it becomes, okay, let's only go for 25, but let's focus on net profit this year and see if we can get you 2% up to seven, eight, nine, 10 maybe, okay? And then obviously that's a huge amount of money that you get left with as a net profit. So once you've, once you've zeroed in on which type of money you're going for, you can put the strategy in place. So if you want more net profit, there's three things you can do. You need to run a more efficient business, okay? So that could be, that could be if you physically make things, you've got to look at how to increase production for the same amount of time. So if some, you know, if your average team member is producing three widgets a day, how do you get three and a half widgets a day on average, right? If you're a service-based business that's out on the road, it's like instead of having my, let's say, HVAC or electricians, instead of them driving from a job in this suburb to a job in this suburb to a job in this suburb, let's just market like crazy around where we currently have jobs and then on this day, they can stay in the suburb and not do as much travel, which means they can build more. And then the next day, they go to this suburb and do five jobs instead of one. And then you run a more efficient business because you haven't got the downtime of traffic, right? That's like once you've decided, you can put the strategy behind it to drive the outcome. Another thing that you'll want to do is you'll want to put your prices up. 
at the moment, it's totally acceptable to put your prices up. And some of you are not doing it out of some reason. You could increase your prices right now. And even if you're in a, a priced market where the core products and services that you sell can't, like if they're price sensitive, find other products and services that you can increase your prices on and put up the outside products and services and get some more margin that way. And then of course, you could work out what are your highest margin products and services and focus on selling more of those, right? So if you sell 20 different products or 200 different products, or if you've got six different services that your company offers, then work out which are the highest margin products and services, and then put more of your marketing budget to getting more of that kind of work, okay? Because it's the same effort that way, but more margin at the end of the year, all right? So prices up, more efficiency, and sell more higher margin products. Now we get to some fun stuff, okay? Because that's obviously in business. The fourth type of money that you can go for is equity, okay? Now we start to get we start to get to the sexy stuff. Equity means, so if you've got a business, it's the value of the company. If you've got um, a real, real estate holdings, it's the difference between the value and the loan, if you've got a loan on the property. If you, um, if you hold stocks, um, I mean, you can leverage stocks, I'm not sure why you would, but that's, you can today, then it would be the difference between the value and the loan. Um, but it's basically you know, the value of the asset that you hold, okay? And obviously with a business, you can scale equity really, really quickly. You can have a business that's worth a million dollars today and you could grow that to being a $5 million business in a year. You could do it through acquisition, you could, like, like, or you could do it through just the, the fact that the, you know, the type of clients you went after make your multiple higher. There's a bunch of ways to add value and equity in a business, okay? So we talked before about the profit and loss statement, but if you looked at the balance sheet of your business, there'll be an equity position there, okay? Most small businesses, it's not worth looking at, but after you get to a significant business, you know, maybe tens of millions, you actually end up with an equity position in that business, okay? So that would be basically the value of everything minus the loans and everything would be your equity position. So if we just took a, a real estate uh, position just for a second, you know, if you've got an investment property worth 500,000, and you've got a mortgage of 250,000, then your equity in that, in that house is 250,000, okay? But that is a type of money that you can go for. Now, it's really interesting for me how most people miss how wealth is really created in this world today. Now, th there's a lot of people who have got a digital business and have become, on paper, incredibly wealthy in a short amount of time but they're few and far between. It's mostly, the wealth in this world is still mostly tied up with people who built a business and invested it into real assets. That's, that's how 97.77% of the wealth is still stored in this world today. They built, people built a business, they took the money out of the business, they made sure they had a net profit, they took it, they invested it into real assets. Real assets being, you know, the number one real asset is obviously real estate. And then you probably move to direct stocks, then some sort of managed fund, and that's that's that, and then your own business, and then you're probably there's nothing I would call a real asset outside of that class. So equity is a really interesting play because, I mean, COVID has just shown us what equity happens. Most pieces of real estate in the Western world have doubled in, in the last two years because of COVID. The value of it now that causes a huge amount of social stress, but that's just an example of what happens. The the equity in those real estate has just gone up massively. 
So if I use that example before, I said a $500,000 property and you have a $250,000 mortgage, which means you have $250,000 worth of equity, but if that, that piece of real estate just doubled to a million, then you have $750,000 worth of equity in that, okay? Now, the reason why that's important, because that's the greatest store of wealth there is, is equity inside real assets in terms of risk and so forth. Um, and, and you, you know the reason why the wealthy don't pay as much tax is because this is where they draw their money from, all right? So, like, I'll, like listen to this for just crazy. If you have a piece of real estate, right? Let, okay, let me just use the same example so that we stay on the same thread. If you have a $500,000 piece of real estate and a $250,000 mortgage, that means that you have $250,000 of equity. The bank would then come and say, right, well, we want, we'll lend up to 80% of that. You can actually go and get up to $400,000, right? You can, you can borrow up to $400,000 on a $500,000 property. You could effectively go back and draw out $150,000 worth of equity from that place and it's tax-free. You have a loan, right? So you've got interest payments, but you don't have tax on that money, all right? Because you didn't sell it, remember? You didn't sell the piece of real estate, so there's no capital gains tax. Uh, it's not income, it's drawdown, so there's no income tax. That is how the wealthy live off their asset base and don't pay as much tax. Now, I'm a fan of paying tax, I must say, but I pay so much of it in my business on the day-to-day -day basis that I don't mind finding those other places where there is not as much or no tax, okay? As a citizen, the thing that I always wanna be checking is am I paying net tax, right? And, and so if I just look at Australia, for example, which would be most of our watchers and listeners, in Australia, only 14% of people pay net tax, meaning that they pay more in taxes than they claim in benefits. Only 14, and it's the people that earn the biggest amount of money that pay the, that 14. So in Australia, and it would be the same in the US, the numbers might be different, um, it's actually the wealthy that fund all of the taxes. It's not the middle class and the lower class. It's the, it's the wealthy that pay all the taxes because the middle class get usually more or as much in benefits as they contribute in taxes, which doesn't actually add to the country. So my obligation is to make sure that I'm paying net tax. I am paying more tax, which I mean, which has been us as a family for 15 years or more. We're paying more in taxes than we ever get in handouts, and we don't qualify for any handouts, but it's always been the game to make sure that we're contributing. Therefore, I don't mind finding ways where I can access the money that doesn't pay tax, because I'm contributing greatly everywhere else. And then the last type of money is dividends. Now, you might have picked up some dividends here with your net profit because at the end of the year, you'll take your net profit, you'll take 25% of that and you'll pay that in taxes. And then you get some money left over. Well, if you really want to move the needle on your revenue, you've got to take the net profit and not take it out and put it back in to scale up your business. So you may not get a dividend out of your company or you may get a dividend. Dividend really is going to come from one of two places. You are, you're going to buy more assets, right? That's how you get dividends. And those assets, you've obviously got to go and check with your accountant and get some financial advice for your specific situation. But for me, it's real estate. And then I would look at direct stocks. Um, 
you could put your money in a, in a managed fund, but that's not really a dividend. You're just kind of getting an interest. I guess it, it, it's based on dividends, but the company that give you know, the do the trading take a heap of that cash and you get what's left over. If you do direct stocks, you'll just get straight out paid a dividend depending on how much profit they made this year and how long you've held the shares. So, so when I say dividends, I mean it's a passive income. If I buy a piece of real estate once, I get rent every week. I get paid forever as long as I hold the asset. If I buy a stock, I get a dividend every six months as long as I hold that. So this money here, this type of money, I mean, this is where my attention is as an individual. This is where the majority of my attention is because, because I want more time to be able to write books, produce content, and change the conversation around kingdom business. I need time. I, I am currently, you know, I'm, I'm currently 50 to 60 hours a week active in a business. And so the more effort I put here, the more I can pair the time element required here back so that I can deploy that time to other things. I want to travel the world. I want to start to talk in, you know, I want to talk to, I want to rally a group of kingdom entrepreneurs in the US. I want to rally a, king, a group of kingdom entrepreneurs in the UK. I want to rally you know, kingdom entrepreneurs, you know, in all, on all the major continents, to be totally honest. Like, I want to start this conversation, and it'll run way beyond my lifetime. But for me to be able to do that, I've got to have leverage myself out of a lot of the day-to-day -day tasks. And for me to be able to do that sustainably, I need a whole lot of dividends. I need a whole bunch of yield. I need a whole bunch of rental income, dividends, whatever, okay? So, so the way that you're going to build equity, I did miss that one, is that you're going to pay down your loans, Okay, you're going to pay down any loans that you've got against that. So if it's real estate, you start paying it down, build your equity. Or you're going to add value to the asset is another way to increase equity, right? So if you've got a house that's a four-bedroom house and you can turn it into a five-bedroom house, you've added value. The value of that place will go up, which means your equity goes up, okay? Um, you know, if, if you have a business that has equity in it, you can add value to that business by going from one location to two locations or do an acquisition and add the value to it that way, right? So... So when it comes to, to equity, like the way you're going to do that, you're going to pay down your loans and add value to the business. And then with dividends, you're going to buy a whole bunch of assets. And, and, and my own opinion on assets is they need to be real assets. I only purchase real estate as my store of wealth. Um, not necessarily because I'm old school. I just think, okay, so, so, so it's the only one that banks lend against, which tells you a whole bunch. My risk appetite is not high enough um, for a whole bunch of speculative things. I, I, you'll, you'll never see me investing in, in, in a crypto. You'll never see me investing in art. I'm not going to um, buy a JPEG of a monkey um, and store it in a wallet somewhere. I'm just not going to do that. Um, I certainly am not going to do that at this stage. Something massive would have to change in the way consumers do life for me to start to take that seriously. Okay. It might be a bit of fun, and, and, and it's a real thing, but I'm, I'm just saying, in terms of an asset class for me, it's far too speculative, okay? For me, it's real estate, but I'm, I'm, I would have, I'd want to leave that open for you to figure out your way of doing it. But for me, an asset class needs to have a dividend. So, um, so I need to get a predictable yield out of my asset class. So if I hold a stock, I get a dividend. If I hold a real estate, I get rent. You know, there's a reason why when you, when you ring up a bank, when you start a business and you say, can I borrow some money? Their first question is, sure, what real estate do you have as security? 
because when you say none, they're like, okay, bye. You know, when if you say, well, I've got a bunch of wine down in my cellar that's, you know, Penfolds Grange. Sorry, you know, well, I've got some I've got some Bitcoin in a wallet that I can't open. Okay, bye. I've got a, you know, JPEG of a monkey that, okay, bye. Like, they're not interested, right? Well, you ring up and you say, hey, listen, I've got, you know, I've, I've got... Uh, I've got a million bucks worth of Tesla shares. They'll say, hmm, we'll lend against that. We'll lend maybe 10, 20% of the value. Right? When you say real estate, 80, 90%. Why? Because it's the safest. And so for me, I'm trying to build something that lasts generationally as an asset base. So for me, it's got to be the safest asset class as my store of wealth. Okay? So that's me. I'm not suggesting that has to be you. I'm suggesting that that's me. You can speak to the Lord. You can speak to your financial planner. You can figure your own way out. So as you can imagine, right, you kind of don't get these until you have these, right? And you can't have these until you get this. And you can't have this until you do a really good job with this. And you can't get this until you drive that, right? So you start here. But for some of you, you're more advanced through some of this. And now you get to focus. You know, if your business is small and you're starting out, forget everything and just go for number one. When you need more money, just get revenue. Don't worry about profit. If you, if you go from $500,000 in revenue to $3 million, but you make no more profit, don't worry, right? Because, because small business can't have a dual focus. The, the, the beauty of being a big business where you might have 100 staff is you can say, right, staff, I want 10 of you staff to focus on more revenue. You go out and move the top needle. And then, okay, I want five of you to work out how to move the bottom needle at the same time. When you've got a big business, you can compartmentalize your team to focus on different things. When you're one to 10 staff, you don't have that luxury. You're out there moving the needle. So just focus on that one and don't worry. If you go from 1 million to 2 million, but you make no more profit, don't worry. Because now that you've done the land grab, you can now focus. Like I told you before about that kingdom entrepreneur I spoke with yesterday. He's moved the needle on the revenue, didn't make a whole lot more profit. In fact, he made less than the year before. But now we can turn his attention to the net profit and get a massive gain on a big number, okay? But you can't do both at the same time. If you're a bit more advanced and you've got a business that's been around and you start collecting assets, then choose which is the money that you're going for and put the strategy behind it to grow it. Like I told you, this is mine now. I'm going for dividends. The rest will grow itself because I've put a team in place to be able to grow all of these things. My focus is on buying assets that give me a dividend so that I can start to collect more of that revenue to buy my time back so that I can invest it doing my assignment, going around starting the conversation around Kingdom Business. That's me. All right, so what's the answer to you? What type of money do you need? I want you to put it into the comments for me, right? And if you're listening to this on a podcast, you don't have the luxury. So find me on social and just send me a number. Find me on Instagram, find me on Facebook and just DM me a number. I wanna, I wanna see what's popping with you guys. All right, I hope that's been valuable. Um, again, a healthy conversation around money because for my whole world, the reason why I'm doing this, I'm not storing up for myself, treasures on earth. I live off a very small amount of the money that comes into my company and my life. I take a little bit out to live on and all of the rest goes here. Why? Because I'm 43. I don't know how many more years I've got. Maybe 43, maybe 50 more years, but then I'll be gone but I want the asset base to keep funding churches, evangelism, ministries, organizations, individuals that are making an impact. And so I'm chasing wealth, but I'm not storing up for myself treasures on earth. Hope that makes sense. All right, guys, it's been great hanging out with you and I'll see you on the next episode.